Hello and welcome to the Psych Summaries podcast. My name is Hannah and I will be having conversations with clinicians, academics and experts that have applications to the field of psychology and mental health. They have many years of experience, meaning they are trusted voices in niche subjects. But I invite you to consume the content with a critical perspective, since a one-size-fits-all approach rarely applies to mental health. I hope you learn something and enjoy listening. Today, I'm joined by the lovely Helena Lewis-Smith, who is a Senior Research Fellow at the Centre for Appearance Research. Welcome, Helena. I'm really happy to get the chance to chat all things body image with you today. Could we start by an introduction from yourself? And I would love to hear a little bit about the route that you've taken to get to where you are today. Sure. My name is Dr. Helena Lewis-Smith and I am essentially a psychologist, but I'm a researcher psychologist, so I'm not a clinician. So I conduct research for a living as opposed to working with people clinically. And my area of speciality is body image. As a kid, as a teenager, I was always the kind of friend who people came to for mental health issues. I was always the one who seemed to be interested in those people and I would help them. And so I always knew that I wanted to do something in psychology when I was older. And I went to university in Cardiff. I did my undergraduate degree in applied psychology. So I actually spent a year in a psychiatric hospital working as assistant psychologist, where I learned more about mental health disorders. And I was particularly interested in eating disorders. And after doing my master's in health psychology at the University of the West of England, I started doing voluntary work at the Centre for Appearance Research, which is where I am now. And it is the biggest research centre in the whole of the world that focuses on appearance and body image in people's everyday lives. So I started doing some voluntary work there. Then I did a PhD. And then here I am years later. And I think the reason why I went from eating disorders to body image was that I felt that body image, body satisfaction is kind of an aspect of of disordered eating. However, it affects a lot more of the population. And so I think that's what interested me about getting into it, because I felt like I could potentially help more people by coming into this field. That's so incredible. I'm so inspired by hearing your journey. You've done so much. (laughs) And I it's so exciting speaking to people that have genuinely spent years looking at this stuff it's really difficult on social media I mean we'll get onto that but it's so difficult to know what who's trusted and and whether it's coming from personal opinion or whether people have spent years and years and years looking at quite a niche and small subject I was wondering if we could hear a definition of what body image is in the literature before we kind of deep dive into the topic just so people know exactly what we're talking about sure thing so when we talk about body image we're referring to four different aspects about your body so we're referring to the way that you think about your body the way you perceive your body, the way you feel about your body and the way you behave in relation to your body. So if I give you an example, so, you know, a thought could be, I think I'm fat and your perception could be you look in the mirror and you see yourself as being larger than you are. And then you might feel shame. You might feel embarrassed, self-conscious. And then the behavior could be that you avoid going to a swimming pool because you want to hide your body. But I think an important thing to highlight here is a lot of people think body image is just 
about how you look, but it's also about how you feel about what your body does. So functionality is a huge aspect of body image. And what's quite interesting is that when you're younger, you don't necessarily think about that. So you probably take it for granted, right, that your body works. But then as people become older, that's when that aspect of body image becomes really important because sadly, that's when your body starts letting you down. That's when you develop conditions. And that's when people think, God, I really appreciate what my body allowed me to do when I was younger. And then finally, it's important to mention that we talk about body dissatisfaction, which is how you feel about your body, how it looks. But there's also positive body image, which essentially is having respect and love for your body despite its imperfections. And it's important to highlight here that people can be somewhere on both. So I could have an element of negative body image. I might not like how my body looks, but I could actually also have positive body image where I still appreciate what it does for me and how what it allows me to do. So there's these kind of two continuums and you can you can you can have both essentially. You can have both negative and positive body image. That's really interesting hearing you talk about the functionality aspect of it what came to mind straight away was gut disorders IBS and Crohn's disease and things like that because if you are consistently bloated due to a physical condition when you're young and you might experience these conditions which we know are intrinsically linked to stress that will really impact your body as well without necessarily it being anything to do with your weight Crohn's is a great one but also so I do a lot of research in cancer say you're a young child right and you've had cancer and you've got fatigue you're not running around the playground like the rest of your mates the impact that can have on you because you probably feel like it affects your identity like you don't fit in etc and then similarly for women say who lose fertility that has a massive impact on who they are as a person femininity not being able to be a mother what their body allows them to do so it yeah it does cross intersect a lot with different conditions and the impact they have on the body Having people think about functionality and having them focus on what their body allows them to do is a really powerful strategy, I think, to make people think more kindly about their body than they would ordinarily. Yeah, it's honestly so interesting. I've I've read so much on body image and particularly looking at social media links, and I've never thought about the functionality aspect of it. So first things first, it would be good to hear about the role of social circles family friends I think I saw on your page that children as young as three have said that they are unhappy with how they look sure so so basically it's like a massive cycle right everything is is entwined so we talk about socio-cultural theory in the body image field the most popular and well-supported socio-cultural models is known as the tripartite influence of body image And essentially what it says is that there are three main sources of influence on body image. And they are, first of all, the media, then parents or family and then peers. And essentially all three, it argues that all three impact us to make us feel a certain way about our bodies. So if you think about through the lifespan, right, if you're a kid who's born, you're not going to be as influenced by friends at that point, but you're very influenced by your parents. Like they are the models around you. They're the people you spend all your time with. Then your parents are influenced by the media, right? So then that's going to come through to your child. Kids are given toys to play with, such as Barbies, Ken dolls, the Bratz dolls. They're, you know, they're shown Disney films. If you think about all these toys that kids are being given to play with, they are all very aligned with sociocultural beauty ideals. So for example, the Barbies are very, very slender. They have long legs, they have long blonde hair, they have symmetrical breasts, etc. And then when you think about action then, for example, they're all super, super muscular, super, super tall, very masculine. And then if you think about Disney, 
all the princesses and princes are very, very attractive. But then if you think about the baddies, most of them have some kind of visible difference. And when I say visible difference, I'm talking about like an appearance altering conditions that could be scarring. They could have a hunchback. That could be the fact they're in a larger body. So again, it's kind of wasting them coming into play. So from this super, super young age, kids are being sent the message that to be successful, to grow up and meet a man of your dreams, you have to be attractive. So that message is being sent to kids from a really, really young age. And parents don't even realise that they're doing that because unfortunately we're such slaves to the media because the media is so powerful. We have no idea. You and I have long, long hair. Why do we have long hair? We have long hair because we've been told from day one that women have long hair and that's associated with beauty, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's really, really interesting and sadly has a very deep impact on all of us, unfortunately. And then what happens is kids might get a little bit older and then their parents will make comments to them about their appearance. So for example, it could be, oh, you're so pretty, you're so beautiful. Or to a little boy, it could be, you're so handsome. And what that can do is then instill worth in that child, which comes solely from their appearance. So if you're constantly giving compliments to a young child about how they look and not necessarily about their skills or their personality or who they are as a person, then that child will associate their worth of being attracted. So, you know, it might be a little girl who's been complimented for having lovely blonde hair all her life. And then when she becomes an adult, she never cuts her hair because she's like, this is, you know, this is my worth. And then God forbid she receives a diagnosis of cancer and she needs to have chemotherapy and, she, and then she loses her hair. The impact that could have on her would be very, very grave because her source of value has been her hair and her appearance, if that makes sense. But then also it can work in another way whereby parents might not make any comments about their children's appearance, but they talk about their own appearance. You've all witnessed someone, it could be our parents, our family, our friends, our partners, comment on their own appearance. So if there's a mother saying, I'm so fat, I need to lose weight, or I can't wait to get back to the gym after the pandemic, I've put on so much weight. Children can hear that. It can have an indirect effect on them, which again is sending the message that one should be thin, that being the size they are isn't good enough. So again, that has an impact on children. And then when kids go off to secondary school, there's what we call body talk, which is also known as fat talk. So it could be that one girl says to another girl, you lost so much weight, I'm so jealous. And then the other girl who's in the group is going, oh, she didn't compliment me. Does that mean that I'm fat? And then it continues. And it works with boys as well. Like boys, boys might tease another one, go, oh, you haven't got any, any muscle. Your arms are so thin, you're not tall enough. And then it has an impact on that person. So that is just right within kind of between people. But where that all comes from is the media. And then obviously when kids start going on social media or reading magazines or watching shows like The Only Way is Essex, Love Island, where again, people are very much kind of conforming to the beauty ideals. Again, that's sending that message to them directly as well. To be successful in life, to be worthy of love from someone, they have to look like that. I guess it's just highlighting how it's all entwined. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? It's all intrinsically linked. It's not like it comes from necessarily one source. It's actually the societal norms and ideals. Is there any research on non-binary or cross-culturally or across ages? We think that the limited research that can tell of this, the body image concerns have increased over time, and that is likely linked to the advent of social media, <laughs> unfortunately, because it's so accessible, it's there all the time, younger people are accessing it. So we know that it's increased over time. And we know that among men, for example, and boys, so back in the day, this would be deemed like a female problem. But actually, we know that boys are just as vulnerable to experience body image concerns. And I think what's quite interesting as well, and I'm going off piece here, but if you think about data, 
dating apps say like women are so used to being objectified from such a young age unfortunately but what's interesting is now that boys are being objectified when they're going on dating apps they're putting up pictures of themselves so they're being they're experiencing what it's like for others to look at them and appraise them on their appearance and also with social media they're still posting selfies etc etc so it's very much an issue among girls and boys and we know that it's a global issue as well so I do research in India and I can tell you that in India it's definitely an issue the nature of concerns might differ so for example in, in India one of the major concerns relates to satisfaction or lack of satisfaction with skin color and so there's a lot of lightning product use in India. And then the problem with that is it then reinforces social justice issues in India, et cetera, et cetera. So we know it's a concern all around the world. However, the nature of the concerns differ depending on where, where you are. And then in terms of minority groups, again, so in terms of body image concerns, particularly among non-binary groups, there's very little data that's looked at, but we do know that body image is an issue among these groups. And then in terms of gay, bisexual, lesbian groups, we know that body image concerns are greater among gay men than, than heterosexual men. But I have to say, in terms of women, it's quite interesting because it's very conflicted. Some research says that lesbian women are more satisfied with their appearance than bisexual and heterosexual women, but then also there's research that says the opposite. So that's still quite conflicting, but there needs to be more research done in these groups, obviously. But we do know, I can tell you that this is an issue among every race, every age. It doesn't matter if you're if you're 15, if you're 90, people experience concerns with their bodies. Have you conducted any longitudinal research on whether body image at a young age does lead to eating disorders or self-destructive behaviours? I, myself, and my colleagues have done a couple of studies on longitudinal research. And so longitudinal research, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, research that follows the same group of people over a period of time. And in Bristol, where I am right now, we're very lucky to have cohort data, which is known as AUSPAC. It has been running since 1990. So there have been young people who have been followed since they were born in 1990 to now. Obviously, the numbers have diminished because obviously people grow up, they have different things going on in life, they don't have time to complete questionnaires all the time. But we need research like that is so important because that tells us more about causality. So what is the direction of influence? And so, for example, would higher BMI lead to worse body image or just worse body image lead to BMI? What's the direction of effect? In some studies that I've done with my colleagues, we looked at whether BMI at the age of seven would lead to disordered eating and depression at the age of 14. And essentially what we found is that, yes, that was the case, particularly among girls. So girls who had a higher BMI of seven were more likely to have disordered eating symptoms and have depressive symptoms at age 14. And the reason for this was because they had higher body dissatisfaction. And also for girls, what was quite interesting, we found that they had more advanced breast development which essentially suggests that girls who have bigger breasts compared to their friends might be more likely to experience objectification. It might be that the boys are teasing them about their breasts at that point. They may be engaging in disordered eating to try and get rid of their breasts. So that was quite an interesting and novel finding that hadn't been found before. And then we found among boys that similarly, boys who had a higher BMI at age seven also had greater disordered eating and depression as well, and via body satisfaction, which was quite interesting, but also scary. And then in another two studies, we were then interested in looking at, okay, what about the impact when you're a teenager on later life? So how does your body image in teenage, those kind of super crucial years when you're going through puberty property and you're, you're experimenting with romance and all these kind of things, how does that impact your behaviors later on? 
We found that if you are dissatisfied with your body at age 14, you are more likely to experience depression at 18. So four years later, by the time you're leaving college, you're leaving school, you'd be more depressed, which again is quite scary. Not a very nice finding. And then finally, a study we looked at how body dissatisfaction leads to risky health behaviors, you know, drinking alcohol, smoking, smoking a spliff, taking drugs, engaging in self-harm, etc. And what we found was that if you're unhappy with your appearance at 14, at 21, so think how many years later that is to say you've like left uni or whatever, or you've been working for quite a while by that point, you will be more likely if you're a girl to be smoking, taking drugs, drinking and self-harming. That's like what the first study that's kind of found a lot of those associations. So that was quite scary. And then among boys, it was a little bit different. So among boys, they were only more likely to smoke, but still, that's still quite concerning that if you don't like your body seven years later, you're going to smoke. And I think what these findings highlight is that body image should be treated seriously. And it is a public health concern because previously it's not been taken very seriously. And people obviously take disordered eating seriously and rightly so. But this highlights that being a primary school kid, secondary school kid, your 20s, whatever, body dissatisfaction can lead to mental health issues and also can have an impact on your physical health. So basically, we should care about this and our health system, the government, etc. should be caring about this. It seems bizarre that we wouldn't take it seriously when it can be a risk factor for the onset of so many different disorders. You don't learn about body image in school. You don't really hear about it. So when you and I would have been growing up, you're probably a bit younger than me, but the kind of idealistic icon was Kate Moss. And she had no breasts, right? So if you were a kid growing up then and you went through puberty earlier than your friends, you would be like, oh, if you had a bigger a bigger bum, you'd be feeling bad about yourself. However, if you're a kid growing up now and the icons are the Kardashians who have bigger breasts, bigger bum, it's all about charts if your body conforms to what is the current ideal of the time. And that's why there has been such an, an increase in women who are getting lip fillers, right? Getting their eyebrows tattooed on and having bum implants. And that is to conform with the ideal. But then what happens, say, in the next decade, if the ideal changes again, it might go back to the Kate Moss waif, waif kind of look. Then those women may be like, oh, actually, I don't want these. How, you know, get them out of me. So I think a lot of that relates to what is the current societal ideal at that time. I wonder, do we have a clear understanding of the prevalence of those who suffer with eating disorders and low body image? I know that, for example, selfie posting is associated with eating disorders, but could we put that into the stats for people to hear? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard, right? Because every study finds a different value because it all depends on who you're sampling, what measures you're using, et cetera, et cetera. So first of all, to talk about body dissatisfaction and how common that is isn't among people. So a study that was done... 10 years ago now, it was a 24 country study to look at the prevalence of body dissatisfaction. And what was found is that between 25 and 61% of young people had body dissatisfaction. And that was across all the different countries. However, that was 10 years ago. So the scary thing is now that I think that probably would have increased, which is quite scary. But yeah, so that's across many, many different countries. So not just your kind of Western countries, low middle income countries as well. And then in terms of disordered eating, so disordered eating versus eating disorders, they're very different things. So disordered eating symptoms are actually quite common in the population, whereas actually having a clinically diagnosed eating disorder is obviously more rare. 
But in terms of disordered eating, so for example, one study found that 56% of girls who are age 14, so they're quite young, but again, they're kind of in that mid-period of going through puberty, right? So that's over half of girls will report at least one eating disorder behavior. So that could be, for example, restricting. So trying not to eat, that could be taking diet pills, that could be vomiting, that could be taking laxatives, that could be smoking cigarettes with the intention of losing weight, that could be excessive exercise with the intention of losing weight. So if you think about it, think how many people you know who probably do one of those things. It's quite common, right? And then that study also found that 28% of boys, so nearly a third of boys also reported at least one of those things. And I think the thing here, the reason why it's common is because it's becoming more normalized. So these behaviors are actually clinicians would deem to be concerning and to be a symptom of an eating disorders are so normalized. So think about the 5-2 diet. You, you essentially starve yourself for two, I don't know it well enough, but I think one or two of the days, right? People are being encouraged to do that. There's TV shows on the BBC about it with the guy who does it. That is actually a symptom of an eating disorder. And the problem is that we know from the research that people who constantly diet, yo-yo diets, actually have worse health and actually can't even maintain weight loss. I digress. So actually, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that disordered eating behaviors are a lot more common in the population than we'd like them to think that they would be. Yeah, and I, I guess, I mean, I don't want to go off topic, but I wonder what the research will show about the past year with dealing with the pandemic. I think there's research I can tell you about. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so essentially people are experiencing more disordered eating symptoms. And um, particularly, so I'm currently doing a study with two of my colleagues and we've been looking at the impact of the pandemic on people who have history of an eating disorder. So they're in remission now that, you know, they're at home, etc. And essentially what we found, we're still, we're still analysing the findings, but what we found is that people who have history of eating disorder are experiencing more symptoms. They're being triggered. It's not having a good impact on them at all. And also in terms of body dissatisfaction, what I know from the early research, obviously papers are being published on this every day. We also know that people are experiencing greater body dissatisfaction as well because they have more time to go on social media. And we know that the more time on social media, the worse you feel about yourself. They're not able to engage in exercise. Their bodies are changing, right? Because naturally they do change. And unfortunately, because we live in a society which doesn't like fatness, people tend to be putting on weight or losing muscle. And so then they're like, oh God, I don't conform to societal ideals. And they just like their body. And then they have no control because we're in a pandemic. So yeah, so unfortunately, I imagine that I don't know about the rates, just generally that more and more people are feeling worse about their bodies and experiencing more disordered eating. And it's probably feeling out of control. People often use food, something that they can control to to cope with the external circumstances. So it's hardly surprising, but very sad and something that the government have not spoken really once about. I know that they've announced help for young people, but actually on a wider level, it's going to be interesting and scary to see what happens as a result of the pandemic on mental health yeah well what they've done if anything in relation to body image they've made it worse because they talked about obesity so obviously Boris Johnson came out and said the reason why he got COVID was because he was overweight so actually it's creating even more weight stigma so that's that's not helping the situation at all so yeah, I think it is quite scary to think about the lasting impact this is going to have on people who have history of an eating disorder, people who have a current eating disorder, young people generally who, who don't have history of an eating disorder, but may well be 
at risk now. I don't know, it's, it is scary. And I think let's not even go and talk about mental health generally pandemic, but we know it hasn't been good. The number of suicides have gone up. It's just been awful. Body image is one part of it, but I think you're completely right. The lack of control is biggest culprit, I think. And just on that point, does body size correlate to health? As you say, we've got Boris Johnson saying, well, I was in hospital for longer because of the size that I was. And obviously, on a generalised level, we know that obesity puts you at risk of developing conditions. But at the same time, if someone is naturally a size 12 and they put themselves into a size eight frame by restricting doing the five two, then that's probably going against their genetics and other factors that play a part in their life. And they're probably under eating. So that's also not healthy. So yeah, I was wondering if we could touch on the relationship between body size and health. Sure. I mean, size 12 isn't even average. Average, I think is size 14. Like size 12 to me is like a small body. So, you know, that's kind of depressing anyway, the thought of someone who's a size 12 thinking their body isn't good enough and trying to lose weight. The problem is that there is this massive association, like like you rightly said. But the thing is, there is no condition that is only for people in larger bodies. There, is, there are no conditions that exist that only exist for people in larger bodies. It's more about the diseases, the conditions that happen to come with somebody who happens to be in a larger body. But there is no research that suggests that having a larger body causally 10 years later leads to something so we know that anyway from the research and I think the problem is is that it's more about the weight stigmatizing messaging because the aim of the weight stigma message is right is to encourage people to lose weight but what we know that it's doing is actually causing more harm because we know that weight stigma leads people to feel worse about themselves why would you go to the gym if you're being stigmatized for the shape of your body they're not going to do that they're not going to engage in physical activity it also leads people to eat worse so to eat less nutritious food that isn't as good for their body and gives their body kind of what it needs to repair etc so by using these stigmatizing tactics which is what unfortunately our government does and a lot of campaigns do is actually having the opposite effect is making people feel ashamed for their body and then they're not wanting to look after it because essentially if you encourage someone to look after their body because it's the home they live in it's what's going to be with them every single day for the rest of their life right if you encourage people to look after their body and that's in that sense want to exercise it want to give it enough sleep etc then that's actually more likely to have a positive impact on dare i say it engaging in eating good food, physical activity. And then that person's probably going to be healthier anyway. But because our society doesn't use those body positivity, focusing on functionality-based messages, it's having the opposite effect. And we know that yo-yo dieters, so the people who are doing the 5-2 diet, who then go to the smoothie diets, who then go to another diet, actually they don't maintain weight loss and actually puts them at risk, higher risk for other conditions. And it actually puts them at high risk for other biomarkers for for poor health. So actually, it's not very healthy at all for these people in that. And if you compare someone who's severely underweight to someone who's severely overweight, the person who's severely overweight is actually protected, more protected than that person who's severely underweight. I mean, think about people who sadly have anorexia and have such low BMIs. I mean, anorexia, I think, is the, the, the leading death for mental health conditions because of the effects it has on the heart, organs, etc. So actually, it's protective to be in a larger body. So I think it's a really tricky one. But the way that the government have got this and the framing is all wrong. And as long as we continue to use weight stigmatizing messages, it's not going to encourage people to A, like their body or B, treat their body with the respect that it deserves. 
and engage in in behavior that actually looks after their body and I think one final thing think about Kate Moss back in the day I don't know if she does now yes she is very thin but what does she do she smokes a lot she drinks she takes drugs etc compare that to someone who is in a size 18 body who doesn't do any of those things who does yoga who does exercise who makes nutritious meals arguably that person is healthier than Kate Moss say that person is smaller body so you cannot define someone's health you cannot guess anything about someone's health from the way they look essentially it's just a shame isn't it that the government choose tactics that are not empowering I think when it comes to health yes as you say there will be anorexic people unhealthy there will be people of a healthy weight that are unhealthy and there will be obese people that are unhealthy you know you can be unhealthy in every size body and it's not about telling people to lose weight it's about empowering people to want to look after themselves which is intrinsically linked with higher levels of happiness whenever you go to the gp right the first thing they do is weigh you there's no reason they shouldn't have to weigh you every time you go they shouldn't have to weigh you and that's one thing that's that's a prime example we're all used to we all go to the gp about something and the first thing they do is weigh us because they say that higher weight increases risk well actually it doesn't necessarily increase risk. And actually, that's one of many different indicators, so they shouldn't be having to weigh us. We know that by using empowering, functionality-focused messages, it actually leads to better body image and also probably weight loss, which is what the public health people want, right? But what we care about is people not feeling shame in the body that they're in, regardless of the size, how it looks, if they have a visible difference, whatever, but also for those people to like their body and appreciate their body and want to treat their body with the respect it deserves. Well, health is more than just your physical health, isn't it? It's your it's your mental health, it's your spiritual health, it's everything. It encompasses way more than just what you look like. For people that might be suffering with difficulty with their body image, whether that's just become apparent because they've got more time, because of the pandemic, because the government is demonising them, what are some helpful things, resources to look at, evidence-based tools, or just empowering messages that you can you can share on that? The first thing I would say is do a social media detox. That's the, the first thing I would say. That's what we encourage all people in our programs, whether they had lessons at school, whether they're older, whether, whatever, just take some time off social media. And I know that's really hard right now because the pandemic, we're all indoors a lot more. It helps us feel connected. But we know that 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 you know even using social media, let alone posting photos, etc., has a really adverse effect on on body image and particularly more image focused social media. So we know that Instagram, for example, has more adverse impacts on body image than say Facebook does. But but obviously Instagram is very very popular. So I would say first of all, take a break, take a little detox from social media, or set a timer on your phone that allows you only to have say. 10 minutes, 50 minutes a day, and then it comes up and says, right, you know, you've had your time, off you go. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say, again, related to social media is diversify your content. So stop <clears throat> stop following things that make you feel bad. So we know from the research that if people follow celebrities, reality TV stars, and I'm thinking again about Love Islanders, Made in Chelsea's, Talia's, because a lot of young people follow those influencers. We know from the research that actually makes them feel worse about their bodies. So maybe stop following them because they're not making you feel good about yourself. Recognize what is making you feel bad. So diversify what you see. So that could be following body positivity or body neutrality. Influencers, people who post kind of empowering messages. 
it could be also following stuff related to your interests. So I follow a lot of stuff related to interiors, plants, because I love plants. <laughs> I like interiors. So I actually use social media a lot for that. <clears throat> so just think about what it is that you're actually seeing because you can control what you see. So make sure you're seeing stuff, people, accounts that are empowering and lift you rather than making you feel bad about yourself. And that will also make you less likely to compare yourself because we all compare ourselves, that's normal. And also because people can use airbrushing now on social media, it puts even more pressure on you to feel bad about yourself. So yeah, I would definitely be mindful of your social media for sure. I think focusing on what your body can do. So I know we spoke about that before, but especially now, every day, try and list three things that you're grateful for, for your body, that you like for your body. And that could be, for example, I'm grateful for the stretch marks on my tummy because they gave me my child. They allowed me to carry my child and gave me my child. Or it could be, I'm grateful for my legs, irrespective of the size of them or what they look like, because they allow me to play football with my mates. So encouraging people to list three three things they like about their body for what it allows them to do rather than focusing on what they look like. And then also, I think particularly right now, because we can go out, I mean, this is in the UK, obviously, it's different around the world. But right now we can go outside once a day for physical activity. So when you're doing that physical activity, be it going for a walk, for a jog, for a cycle, whatever it may be, walking your dog, encouraging people to be mindful and engaging their senses. So another activity I really like is getting people to focus on what they can see, what they can hear, what they can taste, what they can smell, what they can touch. And so I find that quite empowering when you're outside, especially because, you know, we're getting to spring, leaves are growing, there's flowers coming out. I think that's a really empowering experience and just kind of engaging with the world around you rather than being so internally focused on ourselves and feeling bad about ourselves. That's another thing I would do. Another thing which is related to that is just to be kind to yourself, like just be self-compassionate. It's a really hard time, you know, like our bodies change throughout life. They change throughout puberty. They change when we get older. That's normal. Our bodies are meant to change. They're not meant to stay the same. And when things, when routines change and they're out of our control, our bodies will change. So our bodies are changing right now because we're in a pandemic. We have been for a year. So I think just reminding yourself and being kind to yourself and remembering that this is normal. This is going to happen. It doesn't change who you are as a person. Practicing some kindness and engaging in self-care. Like do some nice things for yourself. Have baths. Get enough sleep. Make nice, nutritious meals. Make yourself a cake, whatever. And then the final, final thing, because I could talk forever about this, is every time you engage in body talk, which is so common. So every time your mate says to you, oh my God, I'm getting so fat from the pandemic, I'm putting on my weight, stop them. And try and mindfully stop each other, stop yourselves talking about appearance. Because that is one of the number one things that encourages other people to feel bad about themselves as well. And there's so many more interesting things to talk about than how we look and how we feel about how we look. So I think just getting into the habit of stopping yourself and stopping others around you engaging in body talk can also be really powerful too. Thank you. These are such helpful tips. I've really, really, I have loved this conversation. It's been so insightful. I've learned so much. And I was wondering, can people come and read more about your research? Would you tell us what what your name is on social media and where people can explore it? Yeah, sure. So yeah, please do. So my Instagram handle is Helena, H-E-L-E-N-A dot Lewis Smith, L-E-W-I-S-S-M-I-T-H. And on there, I post hints and tips, things that we've just been talking about, but also I talk about my research, other cool research in the field. And if you go to University of the West of England, you can see more about the research that we're doing there please do follow the work that myself and my colleagues do reach out if you have any questions any thoughts we like to be as helpful as we can especially now is a really difficult time so yeah please do get in touch if you'd like to 
and thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast on body image. It's clear from speaking to Helena that this really is a public health issue. If it's one that you're interested in, I will pop links to Helena's work in the information of this episode. If you did enjoy the episode and want to keep up with Psych Summaries, please do subscribe and follow the account at Psych Summaries on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time.